0: you're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church For more information about us visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com well as I'm getting set up here let me uh, say thank you for the opportunity to come and be a part of your worship service this morning and then also I'm thankful that you only have two or three steps after 433 rodeos rodeo in college and everything, uh, Those steps get harder to go up as you get older. So I appreciate that. Um, Glad to be here this morning and just share with you what's going on in the association. And when Pastor Adam asked me to come, he he asked me to share a little bit about the association and then to preach. And I told him, I said, well, between those two, I think it's going to be like a sermon and a seminar combined. So this is a seminar. We're going (laughs) to hang with me. And since there's no uh, noon kickoff today for the Chiefs, I thought we could go to one or so. And if my wife were here, she 'd say, "Good luck with that i 'll be in the car <laughs> so no seriously um, it's it's an honor and a privilege to be here this morning and share what 's going on in the association and then i'd like to share a scripture with you uh, as I conclude on that part. as Adam said, we have seventy churches in five counties um, we be, Leavenworth, Wyandotte, Johnson, Miami, and Lynn County. our our association our network of churches so all the five counties that butt up against the state line on the kansas side i'm thankful to be honest with you to be on the kansas side uh we're a new work state missouri because of slavery missouri has southern baptist churches 100 150 years old i have churches that are Emmanuel baptist church will celebrate 55 years in march and that's about as old as we get 60 70 years old so there is a difference between a Newark state and a traditional established state of churches. And so our network of churches are pretty much new ones, relatively new, compared to uh, Missouri and some of the other old-line states. So I'll just tell you that right up front. We have everything from inner city, suburban, rural, cowboy churches, house churches, Hispanic churches, Hmong churches, Korean churches, Bhutanese what am I leaving that, uh, And on and on. Chinese church is a really good church, our Chinese church. And so there are a number of different ethnic works that are out there, too, and that we already have. Of the 22 churches we've started in the last five years, um, I would say 15 of those were probably ethnic works because of the refugees and the immigrants coming here. And those were almost like dropped in our lap because a church planter will come to us and say, hey, um, I want to start First Nepali Baptist Church. How do I do that? And so we've had a number where they just came to us and said, we want to be a part of Southern Baptist life, and we want to start a church. And and then we try to catalyze. We try to strategically and intentionally plant churches as well. Uh, That's a big part of what we do. There are four emphases that we, uh, as 70 churches, that's campuses, satellites, churches, whatever, all put together when you add that up. Four emphasis of what we do in the association. So when you give to the association of churches, the association is an entity, but you are the association. The churches are the association. I'm the one that kind of has the 35,000 foot level where I get to see everything going on and try to coordinate what's happening. I have no authority, by the way. (laughs) You can vote and do whatever you want, but I can recommend we start a church out towards Blue Valley Southwest High School hey, Blue Valley Baptist Church, hey, Emmanuel, why don't you help us? You know, I can make suggestions and strategize all I want, but really, the churches are the association. When people come to me and say, well, we want to start this ministry, and I'm so, well, that's great, and it's like they want to dump it in my lap, and I'm like, <clears throat> if you have a heartbeat for it, I will accommodate you. I'll try to put that together for you, but I'm just one person. I'm not, um, I don't do ministry other than by myself personally and in my church work and stuff. As an association, the ministry gets done through the churches. So my philosophy is connect the dots. If you have an opportunity to do ministry and do missions with somebody somewhere, my job then is to help you find the resources to do it and or coach you and network you with the right people. And so when someone wants to create a ministry, it usually bubbles up. I don't go out there and say, we have to do this. Now, you give me five board members and raise $20,000, and we're going to create this ministry. We don't do it that way. Instead, I meet with Pastor Adam or Derek or Steve or Joe or whoever it might be and just see what they're doing and how's it going. How can I help you? How can I assist your church? little church out here off of uh, Parallel. Pretty well dead. And that church kiss had just been revived. All of a sudden, they got new energy. And in the last three weeks, they've done more out in the community than ever before. I'm having breakfast with that pastor last week, and he said, we're going to invite the community. Anybody doesn't have a place to go on Thanksgiving to come to our church, and we're going to feed them. I said, man, that's fantastic. He saw we publicized it through Kansas City, uh, the community college there. We publicized it through the elementary school, fire station, police station. Our goal is 50. After five days, we have 35 signed up already. He says, and it's not even Thanksgiving yet. And he's all fired up of being out in the community and ministering to the community and connecting with the community. And I thought that was exciting because in the last three weeks, they've done more to be out in the community than they've done in the last five or six years. When they called me, as a matter of fact, they were pretty well dead. I said, what do we do? How do we restart? How do we replant? How do we revitalize this? So my job, with four emphasis, missions, um, national, international, local, help churches do that. Second thing we do is missions and ministry together in KC, uh, whatever we can do to work together. My expression for that uh, emphasis is simply this. Uh, we partner and cooperate in ministry and missions, not maintenance and management. Okay, so when a pastor asked me to put a $60,000 roof on his building, I'm going, I don't do that, you know. If you need some money to do some outreach events or something, that's ministry and that's missions, but each individual church does the maintenance and the management of their church. You run the church, not me. I can make recommendations, I can coach, but you run your church. Third thing we do is we plant churches, and I've already talked about that a little bit, and that's exciting. New churches grow faster than existing churches, New churches baptize faster and more than existing churches. That hurts, doesn't it? But the goal is for all of us to be healthy and strong. And so, the last emphasis is we develop leaders in churches and try to get both of those healthy, so that they can lead the church and be the church in their community. About five, or four years ago, we we downsized, streamlined, if you will, the associational office. Technology technology has changed things. Uh, our culture, which I'm going to speak about in my sermon, has changed things. And so for 10 years, I've been saying it's a new day. We need to do things a little bit differently. And so then I get down to the five-year mark, and I said, you know, we're going to have to change things. We're going to streamline. We're going to, we're going to downsize this operation so that more money gets put into ministry and missions instead of salaries and things of that nature. And then so in 2015, June, we closed the office, saved $36,000 right there just in leases, um, saved another 36000 in my secretary and uh, assistant my administrative assistant retired her and we let our treasurer go and we downsized it and right-sized it if you will and you in the business world understand exactly what i'm saying we saved 80 to 90 thousand dollars that now gets put back into you the churches into ministry and missions i work from home well how can you do that well i have this thing called a phone which is a computer i can be anywhere and still be working Why do I need to be in an office that nobody comes to? And so we downsized. And most of these young pastors, they want to meet me at Starbucks and Panera's. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's do lunch. And so why do I need an office? And so I have a part-time secretary. She lives in Gardner. We communicate. We get together every two weeks for what we call a staff meeting. Yeah, just the two of us now instead of nine of us. And uh, so I'll go over things and that sort of thing. And so, anyway, we've streamlined to try to be more efficient in the use of the dollars that you give to the association. When you give to the cooperative program, you give to every entity in Southern Baptist life. The seminaries get money out of that, the uh, uh, IMB, International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, the Ethics Commission. Everybody gets money out of the cooperative program except the local association. So when you write a check to the local association, you're writing a check to support me and the ministry of all the churches in the city when you do that. I never go ask churches to give more. There's a certain amount you should give according to our bylaws, at least. But I never go out and tell a church, you need to give more. If you don't see the value in what I'm doing, if you don't see the value in what we're doing collectively, maybe we don't need me. (laughs) You know, I'll just be real honest. Fortunately, you do. (laughs) And so... I still have a job after 10 years of being a missionary at the North American Mission Board, and now I've been uh, Director of Missions for 15 years. uh, It's exciting to see what's going on around our network of churches. Finally, this, coaching, networking, and fellowship, or the emphasis the pastors and associate pastors said when we streamlined, that's what we want. Diane, just to sit down for you to coach and to help me process and work through what the next step is, for you to network me with some pastor or some church that's already been where we are. Or just have fellowship. See, coming from the business world of the ministry, one thing I've learned is pastors are some of the loneliest people. They don't have real close friends. I had a pastor just flat out tell me, said he was taught in seminary, don't ever be close friends with the chairman of the deacons because he'll fire you someday. That's almost the mentality. I mean, how do you as pastor be with those in the pews? You can't as vulnerable, as transparent as you'd like to be. And so I try to network them and fellowship with other pastors so they can have someone that relates to what they do and understands the confidentiality. And so we do a lot of fellowship to try and do that. Um, Church planning, church revitalization, let's touch on that. In the last about seven or eight years, we have merged 12, going on 13 churches, basically closed one down and merged it with a a healthier church. So there's a lot of that taking place. Um, Another way to do that is what we call to bring in a new pastor that understands church revitalization, which kind of is what we've done here. But I I want you to understand that's a seven to 10-year process. There's no easy way to revitalize a church because you're taking the DNA of a dinosaur and trying to turn it into a mutant ninja turtle, you know? And it's hard to turn that dinosaur around and to go forward with the culture where it is today. And so that's what we do in church revitalization. It takes time, and you got to be patient. What frustrates me is when they go, well, it's the pastor's fault we're not growing. <laughs> Don't, if you want to do that sometime, do that. And I'll ask you about three questions, and I wish you wouldn't have said that. What have you done in the last year to build a relationship with the people that you network with, the people that you're around? When was the last time you asked them to tell you about your spiritual journey? Have you invited them to church? Have you invited them to your house to share the gospel with them? But it's your pastor's fault that you're not growing? See, we're all called to be missionaries, every one of us. We'll talk about that. Conflict resolution is another thing I get involved in. And some churches, I just tell them, if you haven't seen me lately, that's good. Because I don't like that part. You know, to go in and have to resolve a pastor and the deacons or a pastor and 26 people got sideways with the pastor. And now I got to try and put it back together and salvage it as best we can. And that's difficult to do. The conflict resolution is another one. I train pastor search teams. We have one opening right now, Lansing Baptist Church. Uh, That pastor is going to be an International Mission Board missionary. So we're celebrating that as he leaves. He will December 16th, his last Sunday. And so I'm working with the search team already to find the next pastor that God already has in line. So overall, really quickly, I just connect the dots. The opportunities with the resources and try to, it's all about the local church is my philosophy. It's all about the ministry and the missions that you do as a church. How do I help you? How do I assist you? And that's the attitude I try to have as I meet with our pastors. Let me give you a thank you real quick. We may go to one at this rate. Um, <laughs> Leewood Baptist Church, Knoll Avenue Baptist Church, years ago, some through split, some intentionally started Emmanuel Baptist Church. Think about Emmanuel Baptist Church went on to start Lenexa Baptist Church. Emmanuel Baptist Church started Blue Valley Baptist Church. Lenexa runs three thousand right now, by the way, and has started five other campuses. They're on number six right now. Blue Valley Baptist Church is running eight hundred, and has started another campus that's running a couple hundred. Emmanuel Chinese came out of Emmanuel Baptist Church, so your lineage is—you've got three hundred Chinese worshiping today because of this church. Now, let me make it personal. 28 years ago, I was called out of the pews of Emmanuel from the business world as a regional sales manager with a Fortune 50 company to be called to preach. And my pastor said, I want you to come on staff. Who gets the chance to go on staff a Church of a Thousand just like that? Your ministry... Is standing in front of you. Let me also tell you, there were six others on staff with me at Emanuel at the time I was there. Seven of us, counting me, out of the nine staff members came out of the pews. All of us have gone on to, if you will, bigger and better things in ministry. Thank you. But it was because of your church. You started Emmanuel years and years ago. That's why we start new churches. You never know the impact that you will have. So, thank you. Well, there's so much more I could tell you about the association. Let's talk about the scripture. Let's go to, if you would, open your Bibles. I'm going to jump in this and I'm going to give you the thumbnail sketch of a 40 minute sermon in about 15 minutes. Today, I want to talk to you about missions in a changing culture, and there's a reason for that. I'm tired of closing churches. I'm tired of going in to people and saying, you know, <laughs> this, this, and this. There is a common thread as to why I have to close one church every year. Got 30 of them across our association probably that are struggling and plateaued. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about what Paul did, what his methodology was. And so this is where it becomes a seminar. It's just going to be, you know, when I was here, I preached out of Habakkuk, I believe, a year and a half ago. (laughs) You're probably wondering how I ended up there, but preached out of Habakkuk. Well, that was more of an expository sermon, we'd call that. This one's not. So if anybody's going to seminary, don't preach this seminary, Michael, because we're going to be in a scripture, and I'll break it down for you, but I want to apply it. I'm after the practical application today, okay? I just want you to see what I deal with and what's out there and what... You could possibly do wrong. See, you are one or two decisions away from, I'd say any of the church, one or two decisions away from closing your doors. One bad decision, two bad decisions, the next thing you know, I'm, you're calling me going, hey, we can't make the bills. What do we do? What do we do next? You're not alone. Here's what's happened. The church of the 21st century in America, we face a really exciting new challenge. You see, what's happened is, we need to take a timeless message and apply it to a time when culture has left us back, and culture feels we're irrelevant. I didn't get a chance. I was in my sleep last night. And I thought about this. How many cars drive by here every day? You know, I was at Emanuel. It sixty thousand cars a day. They have no idea what we are doing here today. No clue. Johnson County is seventy-two percent unchurched. Seventy-two percent unchurched. They need what we have. They consider us irrelevant. See, think about it. Maps are gone. Now we have GPS. Um, mail's gone. Now we have email. We have texting. Uh, what else? VHS is gone for DVDs. Books are gone. Um, all these young guys, I got 12 books in my trunk in my uh, back seat right now. A lady gave me that they're good resource books. Would any of the young pastors like these? No, because they got it all on their computer. But I didn't want to say that. I said, well, let me ask. And so I took them, and I've been in my backseat now for three weeks. I'm thinking, where am I going Michael wants them. Good. They're yours. (laughs) Think about it. We had three TV channels when I grew up. I turned the TV on this morning, checked the weather, checked the sports, checked the headlines to see if something blew up or whatever. Boom, 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 and didn't have to wait for the news at noon. It's a different environment. How about indoor shopping malls? Ward Parkway, Oak Park Mall, that's about it. The last time we built an indoor um, shopping mall in America, 2007. What happened? Well, now we shop online, don't we? We don't go to the mall like we used to go to the mall. Just think about here. Great Plains Mall, Truman Corners, Metcalf South, Indian Springs, Bannister Mall. um, I mean, they're gone. They were here when we moved here in 1980. They're gone. Oak Park, Ward Parkway is about the only ones that are making it. It's a different day. Our culture has changed. What worked for us in the 50s and 60s when I was growing up doesn't work today. It's a different culture. America's culture no longer props up the local church like it used to. See, we're living off of my mom and dad's generation's work in tithes. Ooh, I didn't say young people don't give. I didn't say young people won't serve. Millennials, in fact, if they're committed, they're all in. That's one good thing about them. But they're here for a cause. They're here for a reason. They're not here just to serve on a committee. And so when you find their sweet spot, they will go with you. Even as the church had tried to be relevant and we tried over the years to do different things, to be uh, more contemporary or whatever the word is that you want to use, even in our attempts at that, that ended about 20 years ago. Now, we still want to do everything in excellence. We still want to have excellent worship service. We still want to do children and excellence and all that. But if you're going to try and just do a tractional model, that's gone. It's not there anymore. couple assumptions real quick. The need for missions. I'm going to assume in the next five minutes we all agree that we're supposed to do a couple things. One, Matthew 28. By all authority in heaven and on earth, it's been given to me. This is Jesus before he ascends into heaven. Therefore, he says, go. Go. Because I have all this power and I'm giving it to you, therefore, anytime there's a therefore, you look to see what he was saying before that, therefore, go, go in the Greek means as you are going, and make disciples. Now, who was he speaking to? All the disciples. I would suggest he was speaking to all of us today. So I'm going to assume that you as a Christian, you sitting here, understand you are to go and make disciples. As you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the cleaners, as you go to eat, you're supposed to be making disciples. That's the primary purpose and reason you're here. Second assumption I'm making is Acts 1.8. He tells us where to go. <laughs> I've been told where to go before. Trust me. But here Jesus telling me where to go with my life, with my purpose. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you got all the Holy Spirit you are going to get when He did come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, in Kansas, and Kansas, in the United States, in North America and to the ends of the earth, I'm supposed to be, Matthew 28, the missionary, the person on fire. For the gospel message. I'm assuming we would all would agree. Well, let's take a quick look how we're doing. See, the number of Americans who do not identify with any religion continues to grow at a rapid pace. See, as our population goes up, the number of Christians is going down. That's the reality in North America. We're the only continent where Christianity is not growing, by the way. Part of it is because we think this is the church, a building We've built $15 billion worth of buildings in the last 15 years probably, and Christianity continues to go down. It's not working. 33% of adults under 30 are religiously unaffiliated today. Actually, only 4% of millennials are tied into the local church. Now, they'll talk about spiritual things with you. They'll talk about Jesus. They'll talk about God. But as far as this, what you and I call corporate worship, corporate church, I don't need that. I can worship God at home. So they have a different philosophy. Of the 380,000 churches in America, 344,000 are in decline. At Southern Baptist, we close 1,000, almost 1,200 churches every year. And we are one of the most stable, actually a little bit of growth, denominations in America. And we're closing 1,000 to 1,200. We only started 692 last year. So we're behind and getting farther behind. The culture of America has changed. We are not, if we ever were, a Judeo-Christian nation. We'd like to believe we were. I'm not sure that we were, but we're not today. In fact, today, to the average American, Sunday is just another Saturday. They drive by, have no idea what we're doing in here. In the past, if you were a Christian, you went to church on Sunday. It was the center of activities. Now it's just a piece of the pie, and that's where we are. Too many church leaders, pastors and deacons and leaders in the church today, what's happened is they're perfectly equipped to reach a world that no longer exists. It's like we have the best hamburger stand, the very best hamburger stand, whatever that might be in your your mind. Think of it. And we're selling hamburgers when they're wanting kale. That's what's happening. The reason I said that is I don't like kale. but Johnson County, 72% of the church... it's like we're running the best hamburger stand. It's not working. Here's where we're headed. Every church at some point will have to learn how to reach the unchurched because that's all that's going to be left. That's where we're headed. I was with uh, Alan Hirsch, New Zealand. That's where he's from, I believe. And we're at a conference, and this was about six years ago. And he said, Donnie, he said, America is headed down the same path as England. You're just 15 years behind us all, 15, 20 years maybe. And if you know what's happened over there, the cathedrals, the churches have become Starbucks, museums, closed down, torn down. He says America's headed in that direction. Our culture needs what we have. Here's where we're headed. We're headed in the wrong direction. So let's talk about our methods for achieving the mission. And let me read this scripture to you quickly. I want you to understand that Paul had a whole different mentality than we seem to have today. Paul was a missionary at heart, which is what we were called to be. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 here, verses 19 through 23, and he's, he's in Ephesus at this time, he's staying there. This is about A.D. 53 when he writes this, but he started this church, or 53 is when he started it, and about 50 is when he uh, is writing this, and it's a letter to a dysfunctional church in a prominent city, in a very wealthy but immoral city. And so Paul writes this to them. And so obviously there's some differences of opinion about what they're supposed to be doing. And obviously there's some disunity in the church when he writes this. And he says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like the Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under God's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. See, Paul's saying what? How many times did he say, I changed my methodology? I, I adapted to the culture. See, I went out there among all of them. Why? So as to win some. Paul had what I call a whatever it takes mentality. Whatever it takes to reach the lost is what I'm going to do. Now, I didn't say he changed his message. Trust me, he never did that. But here's kind of a practical application of what that scripture just said. See, your personal preference doesn't take precedent over the mission that we just talked about. Your personal preference does not take precedent. I have seen so many churches killed. Just closed one in um, Easter Sunday. Six people, their preference, killed a church. Two years ago, I was running 130, baptized 13. A few bad decisions, a few bad apples, perhaps. Just a darkened understanding is what it is, spiritual warfare we end up closing the church because of their personal preferences. Whatever it takes, Paul said. See, Paul today, I think, would be a soccer coach. He may not be here today, as a matter of fact, because that's where all the kids are right now. They're at soccer games, indoor or outdoor. It goes on year-round. And so Paul would have changed. He would have said, you know, I've got to be where the people are. Paul would have put a lawn chair in the front yard and watched everybody else do yard work and gone over and given bottled water and just got to know them. Paul would have adapted to the neighborhood, to this suburban lifestyle. Paul said, I'll change my methodology, but I'll never change the gospel message. Reggie McNeil, this was 20 years ago in a book that he wrote. He said this. He said, we need to understand and believe that if you build the perfect church, they will come. People believed that. It hasn't proven to be true. He goes on. He says, growing your church automatically makes a difference in the community. And that developing better church members will mean better evangelism. But time has failed to produce the evidence of those claims. It hasn't worked. You see, folks, people outside the church think church is for church people. Not me. I don't need this. We have to change our methods, but never our message. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. David Wells, author and seminary professor, uh, Gordon Conwell, years ago said that, you know, Christians in the West, they have to be prepared to work like missionaries in their own culture. And that's where we are. Each and every one of you has got to think like a missionary. You know, we used to say, well, invite people over, get to know them, have them come over for dinner. Because time's my most precious commodity, sometimes that's too much of uh, a commitment. So a friend of mine, Brad Briscoe, what he does, used to work at our associational office. Brad says, I used to invite him over for peace pie. Now, that's less of a commitment. <clears throat> now I get to know him. In fact, Brad built a fire pit in the backyard. Uh, he's on a cul de sac where another cul de sac backs up to it, and there's about 10 houses that can see the fire pit he built in his backyard. And he said, Hey, guys, anytime, this time of year usually, anytime you see a fire out there, bring your lawn chair. We're going to sit around and just shoot the breeze. He's won a couple people to the Lord from that fire pit. He's done a funeral because of that fire pit. He's out in the community. Is that saying, Hey, you all come to this beautiful church building? No. See, the go meant as you were going. The go didn't mean come and sit or sit and soak. No, what it meant was go. Paul is saying in this passage that the methods are changeable and adaptable to the culture, but the gospel message will not change. And don't hear me say I'm suggesting we do a gospel message light. I'm not saying that. In fact, we're finding the younger ones, when presented with, here's what the gospel message says, are all in. It's a little harsher than what they thought it was. Remember, it divides families. It's a sword. It's sharper than that. Paul tells us this passage that he learned to connect with a number of different cultures. And I'm suggesting to you, I'll never be at all your workplaces, your schools, or whatever. Neither what Adam or Jason. Michael can't. We can't do that. I don't know your circle of friends. And so I'll never be able to lead them to Christ. But you can. John Ortenberg one time was backing out of his driveway. He, worked, he was on Willow, uh, Willow Creek. He was on staff there at the time, and he wrote this in one of his books. So he's backing out of my driveway with my family to go back to church to a deacon meeting. You know, all the meetings we do at church, all the organizational stuff we have to do. And I, there's an extent we have to do that. Don't hear me say we can't. And he said he just saw the, all the neighbors going next door to his neighbor's house for a cookout. It was a neighborhood cookout. And John Ortenberg said, you know, I really don't know my neighbors. And it just hit him. And he said, what I did was I got on the phone, went back in the house, parked the car and everything, and I go in the house and called the chairman of the deacon and said, I won't be there tonight. And he went next door to the cookout to build relationships with lost people. Whoa, he didn't go to church. That's what some of us are screaming, aren't we? Culturally relevant, but biblically sound is what Paul was saying. I think the reason Paul knew all these people that he had saved them If you go back to uh, chapter 6, if you look at that chapter real quick, Paul mentions, he says, he says this, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You, some of you, that's what you were. How did he know that? Because he had walked with them. He'd gone out there with them. I think the reason Paul knew this is he knew them personally and individually. He led them to the Lord. You're a former homosexual. You're a former adulterer. You were greedy, stealing money. He knew their background because he led them to the Lord. So you must be willing to make some changes in the way you do church. Right now, my expression is we have to be the church. Blackaby said in experiencing God some 20-some years ago, that Bible study, tremendous Bible study, that in order for the church to be effective in the community, being the church is more important than doing church. And that's where we are in our culture. Well, let me get this, wind this down, or we'll be here tomorrow night when the Chiefs start to play. <laughs> no. My understanding, see, is that we were called to be obedient. That the Holy Spirit's responsible for the results. And all God's ask of us is where we started that we take seriously the assumption that I made that we're all missionaries and that we're supposed to go wherever we are and present that gospel message. The opposite side is what I see too often in churches that I have to close or they're struggling. See, here's what they do. They play at obedience, half-heartedly go, and their faithfulness or lack of predetermines the growth. I have a nephew that I'm raising. He's at K-State spending all my money right now. And I tell him every once in a while, tell me something his friends are doing or something. I say, you know, God doesn't bless stupid. We can't expect God to bless our efforts when there is no effort. The church is struggling. We do things like put 95% of our budget into this. Telling everybody our priority is those of us already here. My expression is, the church is for those not here yet. And if you'll think like that, with a kingdom mentality, the church is for those not here yet. And you'll have an outward focus. All of a sudden, your strategy, everything changes. You know, Nall Avenue is not that far from, you know, they've had their struggles. But years ago, they went to uh, a, uh, another staff person for children and, and um, families and I used to go to that church, and it was a lot of. I'd stand there, and if I was preaching or if I just went to worship with them or something, and dropped in, and a lot of gray hair, and no hair, of which I am one now, so I can say that. And I'd look around, I'm thinking, man, what's, this church can die. Because we physically will die. You, you understand that. Churches will too, they have a life cycle. But they changed their philosophy. And so we want to reach young families. And I drove it this morning just praying for this area. A lot of young families. A lot of young families buying these homes. They need a gospel message. And has begun to see. I was there uh, about three months ago. I'm standing there looking around during the worship service. I'm going, I see a lot of couples that I don't even know. And they're young. And then I see these kids at Bible school one night when I was dropped by for that. See, the gray hair and no hairs are still frustrated because they don't sing all hymns. But they're willing to let go in order to reach some people. There's some gray hairs and no hairs in all of our congregations. This is offensive. He didn't wear a suit and tie. I'm in a different church every Sunday. I always ask, what's the dress code before I go? And only about two of my churches do I have to wear a suit and tie anymore. I wore one six days a week, seven days counting Sundays when I was in the corporate world. So that's my nature. This is dressed down. It was hard for me to wear my jeans today. I thought about it. (laughs) They're more comfortable. But to go to uh, Tuesday night, Lewisburg, to a cowboy church we have, having rodeoed, I can put on my boots and my Wranglers, nice rodeo shirt, and go to that church and I feel perfectly fine. But it's still hard for me because I grew up in the church to get comfortable not dressing up. But guess what? We're at Westside Family, our largest church, 5,000 people are there today to worship. Westside Family would never, most people don't even know they're Southern Baptist, And, and most of the people coming in there are in, like, today they might not be, but flip-flops and cargo shorts and T-shirts. A couple of me had ball caps on. My wife and I are there. The rocking service. It was pretty rocking music. And my wife, when we were walking to the car, goes, man. I said, I can't believe those people. That one guy had a ball cap on. And some of them had T-shirts. I said, yeah, I know. is it great? She goes, you know what really is? They were at least in church. On their way to the soccer game, instead of blowing off church, they were at least here. It's hard to get used to that, but that's methodology. That's all that is. It's not disrespectful. Paul said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to reach people. Gray hairs, no hairs, we gotta let go of some things. I grew up in the church quickly. No, I didn't grow up quickly. I'm gonna try to finish quickly, but I grew up in the church. And I tell people I had a drug problem when I was a teenager. And it was this, I was drugged to church. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Wednesday night Bible study, Friday night fellowship, Saturday work day. I had a drug problem. They drugged me to church. And now I'm thankful they did. I understand the church. I've seen it from every angle. A lay person had a drug problem, (laughs) a teenager that didn't want to go. Oh, by the way, the time I got there, Sharon and Karen, these good-looking twins, they were there. Just, I enjoyed it. They were in a youth group with me. They were in a youth group. I always enjoyed it once I got there. But I let mom and dad know I don't want to go. But once I got there, hey, man, how are you? you know? <laughs> I think we got to let go of some things. I've seen it as a staff person. I've seen it as a person in the pews that thought he could run a church. Oh, I can do that. I've got five states, 20 salesmen, $2 million budget, 40 million sales. I can run a church. No, you can't. A lot I've learned about being in the ministry. Having been a staff person, associate pastor, growing church, minister, starting churches, pastoring churches, now the director of missions. Thought I'd seen it all when I became director of missions. You go, man, there's some worms in these things. There are some problems. And that's what I'm saying. Paul said, we've got to change some things because most of what we argue about is methodology. Very seldom do I end up in a church for conflict resolution and it's about something the pastor preached. The statistic is that the average person sitting in the pews has about a fifth grade knowledge of the Bible. So they can't argue with him. He's got a seminary degree and knows the Bible, so that's never the problem. But it's the color of the carpet, the windows we didn't build in the new building, the fact that you multiplied my Sunday school class. You've destroyed the church. I was told that when we were running about 600 and we went to 900 at Emmanuel but I had a lady rip my face off because I multiplied and went to three Sunday schools and three worship services so we could use our facility more and get more people here. You've destroyed the church. You have ruined my class, blah, blah, blah. We take to heart sometimes our preferences instead of the precedent of the gospel message. We'll fight over our preferences. The war is not with each other. The spiritual war is with the enemy called Satan. Satan. And what he does is he blinds us. Spiritual warfare is nothing but darkened understanding, leads to a hardened heart, and then nothing gets done for the kingdom. I'm tired of closing churches. What kind of a witness is that? I'm closing the Korean church. We're trying to sell the building right now. Fifteen people. No one knows how their legacy is going to go forward. So here's what we're going to do. I don't have a church planter to put in that building. It's not really a good usable building. We're going to sell it, invest the money, and we're going to have that money come out, pay out 4.5% every year. And that 4.5% is going to go into four different ministries. You pick them. And so they're putting money into the association, to the cooperative program, scholarships for the seminary, and then Mission Dignity, which is for pastors that have nothing, that are retired now. When I told them that idea, they're going, you mean the 33 years we put into this church, our legacy will continue on? I said, it'll continue on forever because I'm going to call it the first Korean Baptist Church of Kansas City fund. And every time it pays out, the scholarship's up there, my association, the money's going in the revitalization, cooperative program, mission dignity, it's going to pay for widows and pastors that have no money. And they were all in. Used to be we just sold the buildings and put it in the ministry and spent it. That's something different we're doing at the association. It's a different method. But it extends the ministry of the kingdom, extends the ministry of that church. Once you stand with me today and I know I've run over and I'm sorry. Typical pastor, he's sorry. <laughs> I just want to challenge you today, and that's all I'm trying to do with the scriptures to help you understand that. We need a whatever-it-takes mentality to reach people. And that's going to rub some of us the wrong way. And I know that. I get that. I mean, none of us love change. But every improvement was a change at some point. Not all change is great. I understand that. But the scripture talks about the renewing of my mind and the transformation of my heart. And that's change. Sometimes the change has to begin here before it can begin in the methodology and the things I'm talking about. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to come and to speak and to share about the association and what you're doing and how you're working through our churches, Father. Thank you. We praise you for the many churches being started and the churches we're attempting to revitalize, and we just praise you, Father, for the spirit of the pastors that we have, and I'm so excited about the number of young pastors that have come into our association. Thank you, Father, for that. Lord, I pray today as we walk from this place, we'd understand we're the church going and on mission for you, Father. Help us to understand that we come here to be edified, to be encouraged, and just to be lifted up. And so, Father, when we go from this place, we've been prepared. And Lord, help us not be beat down by the fear of sharing with someone when simply sometimes all it takes is a word of encouragement, a paraphrased verse. And so, Lord, help us not to believe that we're not trained, that we don't know evangelism, that we don't know enough scripture. All the things that Satan tells us, Father, help us to forget that, to move forward with just sharing the gospel message in our own personality, in our own way, with those we come into contact with. Father, I thank you again for Adam, for his ministry here, and for Jason and Michael. Lord, I thank you for what's happening here. Lord, I know it's a long process, and we have to be patient. And yet, Father, I know your hand is in it that you have a plan for the future. And your plan is to prosper us, and to not harm us. Lord, may we go willingly and obediently wherever you lead. Again, I thank you, Father, for your unconditional love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leawood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leawoodbaptist.com.